Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Shift Change, our podcast about all things nursing. We are your hosts, Michelle and Claire. This month, we're going to be focusing on nursing research. Our special guest this month is Likwa Wozni, a registered nurse and PhD nursing candidate at the University of Ottawa. The focus of their research is in the area of mental health. Before we share the discussion with you, let's talk a bit more about nursing research and the PhD journey. The entry to practice level for all registered nurses in Canada, except for Quebec, is a baccalaureate degree. More and more nurses, some who have worked a number of years in the field, some with less years of experience, are pursuing graduate degrees. There's many avenues that a nurse can take for a graduate degree. For example, they can complete a Master of Nursing or a Master of Psychiatric Nursing. More broad than nursing, they can complete a Master of Public Health. And even more broadly than that, they can pursue master's degrees outside of nursing, including a Master of Business Administration. Some nurses pursue Masters of Counseling. And then beyond the master's degree, some nurses pursue additional graduate education. This additional graduate education is often the PhD. The PhD is an opportunity for nurses to delve deeply into the philosophy of nursing and to conduct research that adds to the knowledge of the discipline of nursing. In comparison to a master's degree, which can take roughly two to four years, a PhD in nursing can take four years or more. It takes a lot of commitment, hard work, and dedication to complete a doctorate in nursing. So much so that according to the Canadian Association of Schools of Nursing, or CASN, from 2017 to 2018, there were only 95 doctoral nursing students admitted to Canadian universities. In total, only 488 were enrolled. And in 2018, only 46 students completed their doctoral nursing program. In contrast to an undergraduate nursing degree, graduate students are often older and have different life commitments. They may have a family, they may have children, they may have one or more jobs, they may be at a certain level in their career, they may have many more roadblocks. However, to ensure the future of nursing as a discipline and as a profession, it's important that nurses pursue doctoral degrees. The value of nursing-driven research and scholarship is integral to the strength of nursing. In this month's episode of The Shift Change, we want to showcase some of the important research and innovative research that's being done in the area of mental health nursing. This month's guest is going to share their journey and also talk a bit about their unique research method, digital storytelling. Hello, welcome to The Shift Change. We have a special guest this month, a nurse from Ontario. Her name is Likwa Wozni, and she's going to be talking to us about her PhD nursing experience. So Likwa, can you tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about your career, and a bit about how you got into mental health nursing? 
Sure. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for having me. My name is Likwa Wasmi. I'm a PhD candidate at the School of Nursing at the University of Ottawa, and I am a member of the Center for Research on Health and Nursing. My research strives to address the professional mandate of social justice by bringing voices of marginalized people forward into programs, practices, and services to improve healthcare delivery and patient outcome. Uh, my doctoral research focused on exploring the use of digital storytelling as a methodology to amplify voices of people with psychotic disorders. I am also a co-lead of a community of practice for graduate students at the University of Ottawa. The program provides a form of social learning that supports group engagement, dialogue, debate, and networking. Prior to academia, I worked as a surgical, medical, community, and mental health nurse. So how did this whole thing started? Uh, I'm originally from the Middle East. I came to Canada about 20 years ago. I couldn't speak a word of English when I came here. So I had to take ESL classes and I went to high school. I did my undergrad at the same university at the University of Ottawa and graduated from nursing back in 2009. After graduation, I did about a year of medical surgical nursing and then I moved to community and nursing. I did that for and palliative for about a year before I moved to mental health. And when I did my placement at the same hospital that I got recruited for, so I went through an agency and then I would pick up shifts at this hospital. And I, I thought, oh, wow, the experience was different than when I was a student. At that time, I was looking for, you know, the nursing skills and dressings. And, you know, I wanted to enhance my skills. But when I did my placement as a student, it wasn't, there wasn't much of that. At that time, I like, okay. And they placed me on a geriatric floor as well. So there wasn't much of that there. So I wasn't interested at, at first. And that's why I got into the medical surgical nursing. But when I started working as a registered nurse, I thought, wow, this is unique and totally different because I had time to, you know, we always talk about establishing a therapeutic relationship with, with our clients and all of that, but there was no time to do that when I was on the surgical unit. It was chaotic. It was very busy and I didn't get to do that. So uh, when I moved to mental health, I thought, oh, wow, this is real nursing. Uh, so I gave them their medication and then I had uh, so much time I could, you know, sit down and talk to them and listen to their stories. And that's how this whole thing started. I find it so interesting that you, when you got to mental health, you had that realization that like, wow, like this is nursing, being able to spend time with your patients and just this whole idea of something different than kind of the task, all the tasks and rushing through to get patient care done. That's how this whole PhD research started. It was based on my practice at that, you know, mental health institution. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's so interesting to hear your journey through so many different areas of nursing and then that how that kind of led you back to academia and your PhD. And so maybe if you could share a bit about what that looked like, what led you to start your PhD and what that journey looked like from 
frontline practice into your PhD? So I started uh, my master's back in 2013. And for my master's, I decided to look at the physical health of people who have psychotic disorders. This was something that I witnessed um, as a mental health nurse and uh, just like I told you, it was very distressing to hear all those stories and then we didn't have the resources to deal with it. And I felt that I wanted to have a closer look at this, this problem. I didn't know the extent of the problem until I got into the literature. I saw that, yeah, this is a real problem. There is a mortality, 15 to 25 years of mortality gap because, because of poor physical health. At that time, I thought, you know what, I want to design an intervention and do something about this. I was very excited and happy that I had the opportunity now to kind of do something about it. So what I did was I took my supervisors at that time and we went back to the mental health facility. We, we sat down with the leaders. Uh, we had a conversation and they told, you know, just wanted to make sure that um, they're okay with this research. I told them that I want to design an intervention and more specifically for, you know, weight management because weight gain was a, is a problem that is associated with the antipsychotic medications. And uh, I knew that they were not doing anything about it. So I told them about my proposal and they welcomed it. They said, yes, we are not doing anything about it. Nurses are measuring, you know, patients' weight and blood pressure, but we're not doing anything about it. And it would be great to know what kind, what knowledge needs to be translated into practice. So they welcomed my research and I was all happy and excited and thought I just need to find the knowledge that needs to be translated. So I went back to the literature and around the same time, you know, my supervisor was telling me that you need to go uh, for your PhD. And I, I thought, what, really? I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that. I thought, oh, you know, I just want to get my master's. Uh, but because I received that comment from three other faculty members who looked at my papers, you know, the term papers that we do, and uh, they told me that you should do your PhD. And, and uh, you know, that got my husband all excited, encouraging me that, you know, they saw something in you, you should go and do it. I was like, Oh, my God, but I'm, you know, what about my family? And what if it's too much? So I was debating if I should go for my PhD. But at the end, I decided, okay, I'm going to fast track into the PhD program. And I felt that I was ahead of everyone, because I had my research question or topic at least I had you know I connected with the setting I had a plan so I, I went back to the literature to see what's the knowledge what needs to be translated into practice and I found I spent about six months uh, summarizing the literature so looking at international guidelines at that time we didn't have a national guideline or as I was um, doing the literature review um, the Canadian guideline uh, came out and I added that to my to my search. And it was about 100 some pages of summary, summarizing all the literature, different guidelines. And at the end, the answer was diet, exercise and education. So as a non pharmacological intervention for weight management for people who have a mental illness. And just looking at that, I was like, this doesn't make any sense. This can't be the answer. <laughs> really? Diet, exercise, and education, is that 
What about the, you know, socioeconomic factors, the social determinants of health? You know, what about those things? It's just, this is a very kind of like caloric intake and weight gain and weight loss and that kind of like one plus one is, you know, equal to, and it just didn't make any sense to me. I set that aside. And as I was taking, you know, I was taking other courses as well. Uh, so that was for my the research or the thesis part. And uh, I started getting exposed to critical theories. Uh, and that was the very first year of the PhD program. And I had a wonderful, wonderful teacher who is now uh, my co-supervisor who was teaching the course. And as she was, you know, introducing the different paradigms and how the the ontological and epistemological stances of each paradigm um, and how your research fits into those paradigms and what are the limitations and what are the strengths. And as we were having all those discussions, and of course, I was not happy with with what I found in the literature. So that was one thing. And the next thing was I was getting way too excited about the social critical paradigm. And thinking, oh, wow, this is really great because we're looking at the external factors and the effect of the external factors on people's health. And everything started to fall apart. I started to feel confused and I didn't feel very excited about doing an intervention anymore. And I thought, there is something missing here. I need to know what the care recipients think. What about them? What do they think about these interventions? Is this something that makes sense to them? Well, it didn't make sense to me, but what about them? And so we had some discussions and, uh, you know, what I found in the literature was enough to go ahead and design an intervention and and go ahead and, and, you know, implement this intervention. I didn't have to go and talk to the care recipients. So everyone was like, what are you doing? You are kind of getting all confused and you don't really have to do that. You can, you know, you can talk to them about implementing the intervention and all of that. But I thought they need to be part of the, 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 that knowledge piece. And I was using the knowledge to action framework at that time. And if you look at the knowledge piece, it's mostly based on scientific, based on the literature, systematic reviews, guidelines, protocols. And I'm like, but, you know, most of those uh, things exclude the care recipients' uh, perspectives. And I need to go back to the literature and look at the qualitative literature, at least, Uh, you know, I want to see the perspectives of the care recipients. And the surprise was when I was not able to find enough literature, there were only few, few, very few articles talking about or investigating the perspectives of the care recipients. I was like, why their voice is missing? How come we have the World Health Organization telling us that we need to take an urgent action about this because there is a 25-year mortality gap and we have limited literature investigating the care recipient's perspective? What's this? At that point, I did not want to do a qualitative research just to uh, kind of say, you know, I am addressing this gap. My question was, why? And asking that question, I realized that I had placed myself in the critical social paradigm. I was looking at the external forces and the effect of the external forces on the discourses and on um, knowledge and all of that. Um, That's when I ran back to the person who was teaching the 
theory course at that time and I shared all of these concerns with her and I asked her to be part of my research team because now I wanted to do something different. Oh, I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing that you were so brave to say like, so brave to say what I'm reading in the literature and what I'm learning about now in critical theory doesn't match where I thought I was at the beginning of this journey. And you could have, you could have just kept going and just done this research that maybe your heart wasn't fully in just to get the PhD done. But you chose to take a step back and do something different. And I think that's so brave. And I don't know how many, I don't know how many other people would do that, but I think that's amazing. It wasn't easy. When I started, I was, you know, my research team was built around that post-positivist paradigm and doing an intervention. And all of a sudden I was changing direction and it wasn't easy. One of my friends who graduated, she's doing her postdoc. She wanted to change as well, but she was too afraid. She she said, you know, I'm in my third year. I'm about to finish this. I'm not going to take the risk and I'm just going to keep going. But now for her postdoc, she changed to the critical social paradigm. But I, yeah, it wasn't easy. It was going to delay everything. I mean, I had a proposal. I had uh, committee members, like my, my research team was formed. Um, we already talked to the setting. We had their collaboration. I said, no, I can't do this. This doesn't make any sense to me. And, and no, I'm not going to do it. It's not right. And it, it's very interesting because, you know, when you are a nurse, things are different. You want to fit into the system. You want to fit into the, the team. You want to follow the protocols. And you think you're providing best care to, to your clients. And you rarely question things, but graduate school is a place to do that. And you are, first of all, you're going to get questioned and you can question yourself as well uh, because you're outside those forces, you know, that, you know, ask you to follow certain rules, follow certain things and you want to do your best by following those rules. You rarely question, but I found that in, um, you know, especially if you go for your PhD, you're going to uh, present your proposal and people are going to ask all those questions. So, uh, for example, when I presented my proposal, it was the very uh, first presentation that I did. I had someone who asked me, what if this intervention, what if it doesn't result in um, any weight loss? What do you think about the care recipients? Uh, is it going to do them any harm? And so you get asked all those questions. And I thought, no, do you, and she, she said, do you think it's going to cause more stigma and put more responsibilities on them? And I thought, oh my God, what kind of question is that? I'm trying to help them and no, well, if it doesn't work, you know, it doesn't work. But then her question stayed with me. And, uh, and then when I uh, took that theory course and getting exposed to the critical theories, then I started to question, yes, exactly. I mean, what was I thinking? And I was doubting myself. And so it's, it's a great place for reflection and for thinking. And it, it, it was a very difficult journey because it's, it's sometimes it's difficult to say, you know what, I, I was wrong or 
I, I didn't think this through, but you, you have to admit it. And, and, and you get those feelings. I, I, I had that feeling that, no, this is not right. You know, when I saw the, the, the knowledge piece, being a mental health nurse, I just had the feeling this is not right. But again, you're right. You need to have the courage to say that, you know, I, this is not what I want to do. And it wasn't easy because <laughs> I'm not going to get into the details, but there was a lot of, you know, conflict and discussions and, and you just have to say, you know what, I, I just, my interest is different now. And I think differently and I want to change my research and you need to find someone who is willing to support you with that change as well and I had that person. That's amazing I just want to echo what Michelle had said about how courageous this journey has been for you and how you've really navigated your own path I think is so powerful for people to hear because there's so much pressure to go the other way sometimes and it's just been so interesting to hear about kind of your journey and where you've been and how how it's brought you to where you are today. Can you share, is there anything that you found particularly surprising as you shifted to this new method for collecting data or anything surprising that you found out of your research? You know, I decided that I want to do something different, but what is that different? So what do we want to do? Okay, I don't want to do an intervention, fine, but what's the what's the next step? What What's my research question? What do I want to do? Yes, I want to capture care recipients' perspectives on their physical health, but how do I do that? Is it just like going and doing an interview? Because I, my question was why. I was like, why this problem exists? So what do I do? Do I go and ask them why this problem exists? Do I go to the healthcare providers? Who do I ask? Do I go back to the literature? So I was all confused about what kind of research, what's the research question, what's the methodology, what kind of, you know, what's the theoretical framework that I can choose that can help me through this. I only had a topic, it was physical health, people who have psychotic disorders, and it was their voice that is missing, and that was it. I just, I had no idea what I what I was doing at that time. So as I was looking at, so I went back uh, again to the literature, looking at art-based methodology was something that my supervisor told me about if you want to work with marginalized population or vulnerable populations, usually you use art-based methodologies to capture their feelings, their emotions, and their perspectives, and it's more powerful. But I wasn't sure what kind of methodology, was it photo voice, was it videos that could help me, or what was it? So I I didn't know anything about digital storytelling, but it was around the same time we had uh, somebody who came and did a workshop on digital storytelling. It It was very weird because I was working with my supervisor on another project, and she told me, do you want to come and attend this workshop? And I said, okay, fine. So I I went there and he introduced the show storytelling. He showed us a couple of videos, very short. It was like three to five minutes. And I thought, wow, this is so amazing. These are so potent. Like they are very succinct, short, powerful stories. And I left that session thinking about my practice and thinking about like everything that I saw there. I was reflecting on it for days and weeks and months and up to this, you know, moment, I still remember the stories, you know, they stayed with me, it was so different, it was different than reading a, a book or an article, it was very powerful, the, 
the music, the uh, images. It was very powerful. So I thought, you know what? I can use digital storytelling. It's great if they are very short and concise and and maybe this is something that I want to do, but I had to read the research behind it. So I went back to the literature, started to look at, you know, digital storytelling in, in general and more specifically in uh, mental health. And I was very lucky because Scoping Review was, uh, you know, published. It was ve- like, it was published like two or three months before I start looking at the literature. And it was a very new scoping review that looked at digital storytelling in mental health. So I was like, this is perfect. I pulled out all the articles that, it, that they included and looked to see if this methodology was used with people who have psychotic disorders and there was nothing there. And I was like, okay, so there is no literature, like the, the, nobody used it with people who have psychotic disorders, or at least um, this scoping review didn't capture. So I started to look at, you know, books and other things. And I saw that, yeah, they, it's been used in mental health, but in terms of articles, there was nothing in the literature. And I thought, you know what, I want to use it and I want to see what, you know, what happens. This is going to be an exploratory research where I'm going to use this methodology to explore the experiences of people who have psychotic disorders in relation to their physical health. This is going to help capture those voices, amplify those voices. I wanted I wanted to give them a platform where they could, you know, talk about their experiences, but then include those, you know, the emotional part of it, the, the, the voice and the music and everything that they, you know, just let them express all their feelings as well. Uh, I didn't want only words. I wanted emotions, feelings that they could, you know, express through images and music. And then I said, you know, I, I'm going to take the digital stories to the um, to nurses and mental health leaders and get their reaction on the content and the format of the stories and see what they think, if they think this is a form of evidence and if they, they think this is this can be integrated into practices and policies. And I just want to get their reaction uh, in relation to the stories. And and um, I still remember one of the faculty members telling me that this is one of the, the riskiest PhD proposal I've ever seen. And I said, why? She said, well, you didn't find my, much literature. You don't, you know, and you're going to go and do this. And we don't know if you're gonna, going to have any participants. And I thought, no, no, I'm going to have participants. I'm, I'm sure of that. I am a mental health nurse. And I know that people want to talk about these things. And I will have participants and I'm going to do it. So yes, this change in my proposal delayed my progress a little bit because I had to start all over again. Everything that I did as part of my master's, like I just had to get rid of all of that and start all over again. And I was in the second year of my PhD. So I had spent about three years working on an intervention and then I had to start all over again but I was very excited about this new research I knew that this is what I want to do and this is the right thing to do thank you so much for sharing that and I think it's a message that we don't hear often enough as nurses especially with the academic journey but even just our careers in general sometimes there's a pressure to pick a certain specialty or pick a certain way of working And I think it's so inspiring to hear you talk about the learning that you've had throughout your career to talk about how 
um, remaining humble and curious has been such an important part of your journey. I was curious if you're comfortable sharing the name of the professor that you've worked with who kind of turned you on to critical yes, theory. Yes, Dr. Emily Perron. Uh, she is an amazing, amazing researcher, critical thinker who transformed me as a person. She transformed my thinking, my research, my, every aspect of my life. And it would be great if I could thank her through um, this podcast. She's amazing. The post-positivist paradigm is the dominant paradigm. And I was told that you're going to go and do this research and, and then what? kind of thing what do you want to do after I mean you're just going to have a couple of digital stories and you had you were on the right path of making real change with the intervention so so I yeah it was it wasn't an easy journey for sure and I had people that um, told me that I was doing the wrong thing <laughs> and that um, the minority of researchers do critical research and you know the post-positivist paradigm is the dominant paradigm and you are more likely to find a career um, if you do an RCT or you know if you do an intervention as opposed to doing something that is critical and criticizing the healthcare system and all of that but no I just um, I stick to my <laughs> to my position and I kept going so in terms of I didn't have my master's right I fast-tracked into the PhD program so I didn't have that research experience either this was something new to me because, you know, as a mental health nurse, I was all about following the protocols and the guidelines and, and all of that. So that intervention piece was more familiar to me as opposed to the critical paradigm, critical social paradigm. And I wasn't familiar with the digital storytelling either. So I, or the theory that I chose, I chose the post-colonial theory. I chose Spivak's theory of subalternity that talks about voice and um, epistemic violence. So everything was new, but I went and I attended a workshop in Toronto for the digital storytelling because I wanted to familiar, familiarize myself with the methodology. Now that you're done, like now that you're at the end of this journey, what are your plans for the future? And what kind of advice would you give to mental health nurses that are thinking about pursuing a research career or thinking about even pursuing a PhD? Having supervisor or someone who is familiar with that paradigm, someone is a critical thinker, a critical researcher can really, is a must because they can help you and they can guide you through the process, all the little details that, um, or things that you, you might not see, but they see it because they have more experience. But again, you might think that your supervisor is the right supervisor because you have, you have an idea about the research that you want to do, but your research might change and that's okay. But make sure that you choose someone who can guide you throughout this journey. So you need to be very open-minded. You need to be flexible. And if you come into the PhD program, oh, I know it all and I know what I want to do. That's not a good stance. You know, you, you need to be open-minded, ready to learn and listen to your feelings. And, and you, again, you need to be flexible with everything, even timeline. Some people come and they think, oh, I, I'm going to finish this in, you know, I have four years. It might take longer. I thought because I started my, you know, I had my proposal when I uh, entered the PhD program, I thought 
I can finish this in like three years because I already have my proposal. I already have the setting, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be okay. But I started the PhD program back in 2015 and this is my final year, but it took me about six years to get to this point. So it's okay. It, it's a learning process. If you enter the PhD program and you leave it feeling that you are still the same person, it means that that wasn't a good, that wasn't a good journey because PhD is going to transform you in all aspects of your life. Your thinking, you're going to grow. You're going to be a different person by the end of this journey. And if you are not, uh, well, I, I don't know. I don't know what you did, <laughs> but probably that wasn't a good experience. It's a very exciting journey. It is very challenging as well, but it's very exciting and rewarding. I don't know, Michelle, if you have any final thoughts or questions, or if you want to kind of send us off to a goodbye. No, I don't have any final questions, but I just want to thank you so much for sharing your experience with us and sharing your experience with me, because I feel like this conversation has helped me along in my PhD journey and in some ways. Um, but yeah, I just thank you so much for, for being our guest this month. You are welcome. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's such a pleasure talking to you. Embarking on a PhD is a marathon, not a sprint. For some, it may be a straightforward path, but for others, there may be many twists and turns along the way. Life happens, and that can be a challenge to finish the daunting PhD journey. The bottom line is that in order for nursing as a discipline to thrive, nurses need to pursue academia. However, academia may not be so welcoming to nurses. A profession, which is a majority of women, who often have multiple life commitments, like being a parent, a caregiver, economic provider, and partner. All these things have to be juggled while also being a student and a researcher. It might be of value to take a step back and reflect on the many barriers that nurses may face in pursuing higher education. There might also be value in working to change the role of doctoral prepared nurses in areas outside of the post-secondary setting. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Shift Change podcast. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you want to learn more about this episode, listen to other episodes, or share any feedback with us, please visit our website at www.theshiftchange.ca. Our website has blog posts, behind-the-scenes photos, links to other projects that we're doing, and links to our Instagram and Twitter accounts. Drop us a line because we'd love to hear from you. Oh,